and welcome to another evening of Frank Conversation here on Hard Copy, coming to you from our studios in Abuja. Amaokwe Ogun Yusuf. A little over two years ago, the Nigerian Governors Forum, led then by Dr. Kayade Fayemi, declared a state of emergency on crimes dealing with sexual and gender-based violence. This followed outrage over the cruel rape and deaths of two young ladies in different parts of the country, Barakat Bello in Ibadan, Oyo State, Vera Uwa Omazua in Benin City, Edo State, and a barbaric violation of a 12-year-old girl who was raped by 11 men in Jigawa, Northwest Nigeria. The governors pledged to invite the commissioners of police in their state to provide a detailed report on the actions taken to strengthen their response to sexual and gender-based violence through the family support units and forced gender units at the state and local government levels. They also committed to additional funding for the prevention and response to sexual and gender-based violence through appropriate ministries, departments, and agencies, and also endorsed the communique of the meeting of their wives, which held on the 7th of June that year, to evaluate and mobilize action to check the alarming rate of sexual violence against women and girls, and indeed, all forms of violence against women. It was a pretty ambitious goal they set themselves. Tonight, in the aftermath of the UN-led global campaign of 16 days of activism to end sexual and gender-based violence, we'll be speaking with two activists in the space, asking how far Nigeria has come, if the leaps we saw in 2020 have been sustained, and what more needs to be done for us to accomplish, to bring to a most minimal level, sexual crimes against women and girls. Shoma Aguegbo is the executive director of Techher NG and convener State of Emergency GBV Movement. She joins us via Zoom from the United Kingdom. And with me here in our studios is Toyin Chukudozie, who is executive director of Education as a Vaccine. Ladies, welcome to Hard Copy. Thank you. Well, it's now two years since the governors declared a state of emergency on uh gender and sexual, sexual and gender-based violence. Let me start with you, Toyin. When you heard that in 2020, um, what difference did it make for you? Thank you. Um, it meant a lot um, because we have known in the space for a long time that one of the reasons that, you know, this situation has persisted is the lack of a political will, you know, on the part of, the, of those in government um, to push this, to push the envelope when it comes to response to sexual gender-based violence. And that kind of unified voice of the governors meant that, you know, we would see more than just, you know, the usual conversations have been happening within civil society space, but government also taking ownership and responsibility in protecting women and girls, you know, in our communities. So it 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 was, you know, really um a, a moment of hope um that for us um in this space and you know doing so much and putting all the efforts that it will be complemented by you know the will by by our government to ensure that women and girls are safe. Indeed. So political will was what a lot of people saw by that particular statement, that indeed they were willing to now do something about it. Uh, but looking at what they said they were going to do and looking at where we are two years on, Chama, would you say that we've been able to make significant progress uh, since the declaration was made? 
It's um it's a mixed bag response. Um, I think I'll say we've made significant progress. Um, first of all, there was the institutionalization of the interministerial committee on GBV. Um, we also saw the Nigerian Governors Wives Forum create, you know, a platform to advocate against sexual and gender-based violence. Unfortunately, um, we haven't seen much from the interministerial committee. And I say this because one of the members of the state of emergency GBV movement was put on that committee. And I, I, I don't believe that they've met more than three times since 2020. Um, also recently, we now have the SGBB accountability tracker, which was launched this year. So we're seeing progress on some fronts. Um, where we haven't seen progress is the allocation of resources for actually, um, you know, responding to sexual and gender-based violence. It's one thing to declare a state of emergency. It's one thing to have the fanfare, the press releases, all of those meetings. It's another thing to have state action plans within the states that have passed the Violence Against Prohib Persons Prohibition Act. It's another thing to allocate resources. It's another thing to have some cohesion between the ministries of justice, women's affairs, the police, etc., to ensure that when a person has been violated, there's a holistic response within the state at no cost to the survivor, that one doesn't do any further harm, two ensures that the person gets some remediation, and three ensures swift justice as a deterrent for further abuse by other perpetrators. That's not really happening right now. But let me bring it back here, uh, Tony. I'm looking at the fact that she, she, there was quite a lot of buzz in 2020. Uh, I think about that same time too, the federal government uh, moved to launch this register, sexual offenders register, which was supposed to be housed um, with NAPTIP. Uh, and I think a number of states also said they were going to open that. We also saw pressure on state government governments uh, that had yet to pass the VAP Act. Uh, you know, I think there was this map that was going around and asking you know people to generally put pressure on their governors since they had committed by themselves through the Nigerian Governors Forum, you would have thought that would have been easy. Has there been any progress made on that front? Okay, absolutely. Um, when it comes to the passage of the VAP, I would say, and I think I believe Chema will agree with me, it's probably where we've made the most progress. Um, because um, as of 2020, when that happened, I don't think we had up to 20 states that had passed the VAP. Um, but as of today, there are just three states in Nigeria that have, that has not passed the VAP yet. Um, so I think we've made a lot Which of progress. So that's Kano, Kebi, and Zamfara, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Um, so it's just three states out of 36 and the FCT that does not have you know legal frameworks for a legal framework for addressing um gender-based violence. So that that is some, you know, um it's 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 a bright side of the conversation, if you ask me. And I know that. This, um, like I mentioned, the political will, um, there's a lot that went into that. And when you talk, when you ask about the journey, it, it wasn't also really easy, to be honest. You know, there was this um, statement by the governors, but it still took a while. You know, some states still up until I think last month or thereabouts or, or just before the 16 days, Gombe passed the VAP. Would you say that, you know, because what, what we're discussing right now is when the crime has happened, mm. when there has been a violation. We're looking for a legal framework to be able to address it and perhaps deter other people from, you know, carrying out the same uh, types of action. Yeah. But in general, there usually is a culture or uh, what I say, an environment that encourages those kinds of crimes to be committed in the very first instance. Yes. Have we made any progress whatsoever in terms of 
uh, our, our environment, in terms of the culture? Is the awareness helping uh, in terms of being able to prohibit the crimes from being committed in the first instance? Thank you. You're right. Legal frameworks alone are not enough to address the situation. We still live in a very patriarchal society. And that you know, puts women and girls at a disadvantage and other people you know, who are experiencing violence at a, at a disadvantage because our cultural life, is still, you know, the one that um, um, reinforces power over certain people in the community, in the society. You know, th there's gender inequality. It's very, very um, um, at the base of, of these violations, right, violations that are happening. That hasn't changed, you know, dramatically. But yes, we do have progress. A lot of us are doing work um, across the country. Nigeria is really big, mm -hmm. you know. So even though we see progress in small, you know, um, bits and pieces, for us, I think what, what's not making it look so obvious is the scale. You know, it hasn't come to that scale where we're seeing as a, as a country that, you know, people's minds and perceptions um, about negative gender norms and roles have, you know, shifted. So we are seeing this progress happening in those communities where we are intervening, many of us in this space, intervening in different states, intervening at, you know, the local level. I can give an example of a community, more than one community, many in Nasarawa State, for example, where my organization works, where in the community, there's a zero tolerance for sexual violence. You know, they don't hear that you know something like this has happened, and we've seen this happen where in a situation where a perpetrator was released, you know after he was arrested, and the community rose against that decision and went back and ensured that that person was put back, you know, in police custody and and followed the case up to state CID in Lafayette. A true story. We're seeing this happening in different communities, but the challenge is that the scale. You know, that's the scale is, is, a, is a bit of a challenge and we need a lot of resources to, you know, do the large scale kind of work, but it is happening. And yes, people are more aware of their rights. Women and girls are more aware of their rights, you know, with all the programs that, you know, we've spoken about, you know, what ROLAC is doing, what the Spotlight Initiative is doing. People are more aware mm -hmm. and that's what's important, you know starting from small, and we definitely know that the spread, you know, would happen eventually. Well, Chama, you could also speak to the issue of culture, but I want you to add to it, uh, you know, the, 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 the law enforcement part of it, because part of the complaints then was that the police wasn't as responsive or wasn't properly trained to be able to respond to some of these issues when they were raised. The police has since responded. They now say they have a gender desk. Uh, they have officers trained to be able to respond to this, that you you we also got a bit of awareness from them. Uh, but how widespread is this? Do you still get complaints of people who say, "Oh, we went to the police, and all of that that they said was just on TV"? Um, thank you. That's a good question. Um, first of all, the gender desks were established in 2012, so they've been around for a little bit, and yes, they have been trained. Um, but the truth is, the police in Nigeria is still very problematic very very problematic and i'll tell you i'll give you two instances the first of them was in 2018 a three-year-old lady a three-year-old child a three-year-old baby was raped by a 70 year old man and the police told the mother of this child that the the son of this 70 year old wanted to give them twenty-five thousand naira 
And so she should collect the 25,000. And this mother says, I saw this 70-year-old man inside my child. I don't want money. I want to be sure he won't do this again. This is about five years after. This happened in 2018. This is about four years after. Nothing has happened because the police has, you know, made this case stall. So for me, the police is under-resourced. We all know this. But also the police is still a little ignorant. Um, as far as you know, gender-based violence is concerned, we still hear police officers say things like, what were you wearing? As a matter of fact, in 2019, we organized a protest because security agencies in Abuja were snatching women off the streets in the name of clearing litter. And these women were then getting abused, some of them even raped by security forces. So I'm not sure how people who are part of a problem can be taking care of that problem. Are there some bright spots? Of course. But just like Toin was saying, the scale of the problem means that the, you know, the, the single lights and the single candles we're seeing are grossly inefficient to solving this problem. Grossly inefficient. The legal system. At the time, I think it was 2020, uh, we're told that there were about 11,000 cases reported, which was still a very small fraction. I mean, the fear was that, you know, that was, it was grossly underreported, 11,000 cases at that, but that there were only 80 convictions at that time. Um, has, any, has anything changed? Has the legal system evolved uh, to be able to handle some of these cases? Let me take your, your take here, Choma. So the European Union released a statement to mark the end of 16 days of activism. And one of the things that they said is um, only 0.9% of perpetrators of sexual assault are brought to trial. Now, of this 0.9%, almost none of them are ever convicted. And when you think about the fact that one in three women in Nigeria will have experienced, one in three women between the ages of 15 to 49 will have experienced sexual violence in their lifetime, then you know that 0.9% being brought to trial is an abysmal number. And of course, when you hear that, you know, almost none of them are convicted, um, it's even more problematic. So our legal frameworks again, and when you think about the fact that, you know, in some states who within which you, you have to think about the fact that you're not sure within which agency the VAP is domiciled. So is it the Ministry of Justice? Is it the Ministry of Women's Affairs? And depending on where this act you know, is domiciled, you face different challenges. Sometimes you have agencies struggling to claim ownership of the VAP, which means that, you know, just as we say, everybody's goat or the goat that's claimed by everyone is going to die of hunger because everyone will believe that the other person is feeding the goat. So that's why when I started speaking earlier, I spoke about cohesion. We need to be, there's a lot of things that are still unclear. There are some states, there's at least one state in Nigeria that, you know, the House of Assembly passed one version of the VAP. The executive signed another version of the VAP, meaning that technically in that state, there's no VAP. So it's this cohesion, it's this, it's the coming together of what we actually want to do that should be survivor-led, that is lacking. And whether it is from the legal system to policing to even remediation for survivors, we still have those gaps, we still have these challenges. Uh, let me quickly ask you about this one, Tony, and I think you can ask Shoma because she's the one in the tech space, uh, you know, to, 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 let's say, shed a little more light on it. But let me ask you about Arewa Me Too movement, which is something a lot of people didn't see coming, mm -hmm. um, following from the Me Too movement, which you saw in the West. Mm -hmm. um, did it have any effect on the grassroots? We saw that movement on Twitter and we saw that, you know, it was, let's say there was a pushback 
pushback that resulted in the arrest of the activists who started it online. Yeah. But did it have any effect um, on the on the ground or for the women on the ground, especially since you say you work, mm. you do some work in Nasarawa? Okay, so I'll say that not a direct connection because mm -hmm. you also realize that so where we work in those communities, these are not women who have access to Twitter, you know, or know what conversations are happening online. But I think what that has done is that, you know, as far as this conversation is had more, the thing about the culture of silence, we're poking holes. So it's important, you know, generally that offline, online, which with whichever group, the conversation is ongoing. Um, one way or the other, it's giving more somebody courage somewhere to speak up. Maybe not someone who has access to an online space, but someone who can report to, to the police or report to the social welfare what is happening with between between her and her intimate partner or some other person in the family. So for me, that's the connection, not the direct, oh, I've, I've, heard this, I've heard this on Twitter, and so I can go do this. But it just makes it easier for all of us to start having the conversation, which is part of the problem. And I and you mentioned this earlier, you know, when we talk about the culture that we live in, the environment, we seriously have a problem of the culture of silence. And even for the people who are still like the elites, the ones who are educated and have it, have all the resources, there's still the problem of the culture of silence. And I think that the Arrow Me Too is an incremental like um, um, step, you know, towards breaking that culture of silence. And Chama, I know you can weigh in on this a bit too. Mm -hmm. oh, well, let me quickly ask Chama to add a voice to it, but also she's also going to be speaking to this. Uh, this year's theme is Unite, Activism to End Violence Against Women and Girls. I've written about it, I found that I was born out of shrinking space for activism and a pushback that we seem uh, that you know we seem to be seeing uh, for civil rights movement, especially women-led movements or the feminist movements, and they are saying women need to bond together. All that people working in this space, not just women now, yeah. need to bond together to be able to achieve uh, the the goals of ending sexual and gender-based violence. I'm wondering if it has anything to do with Nigeria because some people will say this is largely something influenced by what has happened in the West. Do we have? Does that have any impact? on you know on the problems that we are currently facing within Nigeria um yes i think the simple answer is yes um the theme is timely and whether we like it or not sexual and gender based violence is a problem the world over not just in nigeria it's a problem in europe it's a problem in the americas it's the, it's a problem in asia um different regions of the world have you know the problem of sexual sexual and gender-based violence in varying degrees. Um, in Nigeria, however, you know, I, I think I've been talking about a cohesion. It also involves a coming together. Um, and so that people are not working in silos, so that people are not, you know, duplicating efforts, you know, from very scarce resources. It's one of the reasons why TechCard does a lot of work with education as a vaccine. It's one of one of the reasons why the state of emergency GBV movement was such a powerful force, not to take any you know, acclamation for itself, but to amplify the voices of people already doing work across the country. I think also that having something like, you know, the accountability tracker that was launched this year is a good way to bring information together, right? Because a lot of times you have this ministry, that ministry doing whatever they're doing, and you can't really tell, for instance, how many cases of GBV 
exist in this locality, but also what are the types of GBV? Because we often think that sexual and gender-based violence is only rape. There's an entire spectrum of violence that women suffer in Nigeria, starting from when a child is born. So from female genital mutilation up till, you know, widowhood practices that are still prevalent in some areas in Nigeria. So the cohesion, the collaboration is really critical. And I think that, you know, in some ways, that's another place we've seen progress in Nigeria. The fact that people are coming together, organizations, especially activists are coming together. So let me ask you how the constitutional setback, which... Uh, women folk suffered, especially with the uh, constitutional amendment that was uh, that didn't happen, you know, the inclusion of, so, well, I think eventually we saw the House of Reps trying to make amends. We didn't see, see the same in the Senate. How has that affected uh, the generality of the struggle uh, that women have been fighting for equality um, in the Nigerian society? Let me ask you first, Joanne. Of course, um... It was a setback, like you said. And, you know, there's so many people who have been in this struggle for so many years. Before people like Choma and I, you know, are adding our voices. And it personally, you know, as somebody who's, you know, of a younger generation, if you'd say that, I do, I do ask myself, like, you know, where we're headed with, you know, this conversation. Because this has been going on and on and on. You know, from throwing out different versions of the Gender and Equal Opportunities Bill, um, to this amendment, which was an opportunity to at least honor and respect the position of women in, in political society. Um, so it's, it's, set, it's a setback. I don't have a better word to you know, describe that than just using that. It's a setback. Um, of course, it doesn't deter you know, the women's rights movement in Nigeria or the feminist movement in Nigeria. Um, we would continue to push because that is what must happen. We must have a society that is equitable. We must have a society that is just for everyone who lives in the society. An opportunity is one way to equalize, to unify, right? Well, Chema, let me ask you now, moving forward, I mean, she already mentioned the fact that we're still in 2022, but it's the end of the year. 2023 is the political year. Uh, moving forward, looking at the issues that have been raised this year for sexual and gender-based violence and looking at where we still are at. I mean, you, you both have said, yes, there are few bright spots, but there are so few, and Nigeria is so big. What do we need to accelerate um, uh, or, or to... Will I say make go viral this light that we want to see everywhere um, in, in the space around eradicating sexual and gender-based violence? Thank you. Um, I think that first of all, Nigeria must change the way it sees its women. The perception of women and girls in Nigeria must change. I think it's an absolute disgrace that March 1st happened this year. This is the rejection of the gender bills by the National Assembly. And so going forward, I'd be looking to 2023 and um, to Nigerian citizens to put into the National Assembly citizens that actually care about women, citizens that actually care about women and girls. Um, I'd be looking to citizens to question their leaders, to question their elected representatives, to ask them questions like, what are your plans for me as a woman in this constituency? These are the questions that Nigerians must start to ask. I also think that there's a place for citizens to continue to educate themselves on what violence is, violence against women, violence against people with disabilities, violence against the LBQTI 
uh, community, we must educate ourselves. We have gone past the days of, you know, I'm terrorizing this lady because I like her. Those things are not acceptable. Um, I also think that there's an opportunity for security forces to educate themselves on what response and remediation means and how we must, you know, do our best to ensure that we do no further harm to survivors when they speak up about, you know, sexual and gender-based violence. Finally, there's a role for the media to play, which is not to re-traumatize victims or to cast aspersions on survivors by their reporting. If you remember a few years ago when Debange was um, alleged, was accused of raping a young woman, a lot of media organizations had a picture of this lady wearing a party outfit and then a picture of Debange in a three-piece suit. And if you looked at that coverage online, a lot of the commentary beneath that already judged the lady. They're like things that there are comments like, look at what she's wearing. Of course, you know, this would happen to her, et cetera, et cetera. And so the media sometimes unwittingly can become a tool in the victimization and in, in you know, perpetrating harm against women and against girls. Um, and so my last thing would be for the media to be aware um, and to be sensitive in their coverage of sexual and gender-based violence cases. So to have to thank you, ladies, Toy and Chioma, thank you so much for coming on Hard Copy. Thank you. Thank you for having us. That's the program tonight. Feedback is welcome to the handles showing on your screen. Thank you for watching. I'm Malfoy Ogwin Yusuf. Good night.